I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. The thing that I got out of Wayne is that he's a very complex guy. And the only way that he's been able to deal with his childhood trauma was to be a coach. He gives young footballers what he never had. One more grand final than any other coach. Very rare for a coach to stay successful for that length of time. The bloke you wrote this book about is often referred to as the soup coach. What is it about someone like him that makes him such a great character in rugby league? He manages to earn their trust like no other coach. That's that's what fascinated me, that, that a 70-year-old man could somehow get a 20-year-old footballer to trust him implicitly. Do you have a technique or have you dug into how that works? Wayne is almost like giving himself therapy by coaching these young blokes to have a special sort of life and a special career because he didn't have that. His father was just never there for the family and they just didn't have two 20-cent pieces to rub together. They were broke. When Wayne was 12... The father disappeared. The father disappeared. The Roosters against the Dragons in 2010. The Roosters maintaining a narrow lead at half-time. Whatever Bennett did at half-time, turned the game around. Bennett walked into the room and said... And walked out. Serious? Mm. That's all he said. That's all it took? That's all it took. Webby, uh, Andrew Webster. Andrew, yeah. Sir, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get this stuff organised forever. Um, <laughs> and it's around your book, and we'll talk about your book in a moment. But I, I want to just go back a little bit. You're a journo at, um, with the Fairfax Group. Mm-hmm. Your area of specialty is sport, in particular rugby league. What about before that? What what did, did you have to come through the ranks as a journalist? Were you a political correspondent? What's the deal? Uh, I did my cadetship in the Hunter Valley. I went to university in Newcastle. Um, I just, Mark, I didn't want to be a bricklayer like everyone else in my family. So uh, my father drilled that pretty hard into me from a very young age, knuckled down at school, knuckled down to your part-time job. And I, I just sort of organically went towards writing and sport. That's what I always wanted to write. So I went to uni in Newcastle and then did a cadetship at a, a small paper called the Maitland Mercury, um, which was great because I got to do police rounds, court, um, everything, council, and but mainly you know, always coming back to sport. And, I've, and I've, I always thought I'd grow up and be a serious journalist and do something different, go into politics, but I just stayed in sport the, the whole time. Now, you know, I've had uh, sitting in that chair, the, the um, you know, 
sometimes your nemesis, sometimes he's your nemesis, uh, and you're his nemesis. It's uh, Peter Vlandis. And we go, <laughs> we go back to, uh, and, you know, I like to go back to sort of understand who the dude is. I want to you know who Andrew Webster is. Um, what drives you? Is it curiosity about people? It does. It does. I'm always interested in people. I think people is what drives me to tell stories about them, you know. And I always find with footy or cricket or any sport, really, it's all about the individuals involved. Um, and I really like the thing that I love about league in particular is that it's like so many of these players come from, you know, pretty low socioeconomic backgrounds and, and get to where they are. And it's like it's, it really sort of saves their life. I like telling those stories, you know. And I just see the good that football does and sport does. And I think it gets a, you know, it's easy to dismiss. The, be the best advice I ever got was from Roy Masters. We we're having a beer. This would be 20 years ago. Love him. Good, good, old, good old Roy and loves a schooner. <laughs> and I remember having a beer with him and he said, don't be too much of a smart ass about players because you don't know what they put their body through every week. And it was probably the best advice I ever got. So I'm always conscious of what players put their their bodies and minds through to, to play every week. And everyone can go, oh, you know, they get the million dollars and they get the life and they get, you know, the, the glory. But, you know, it's there's a lot of hard work there that people don't really understand. Yeah. Yeah, and I like trying to tell to convey that in, in the stories I write. Do you think that uh, this back – if, if I go back to the 70s and – the glory days of the Sydney Roosters, which, you know, we're not going to talk too much about that, but the glory days <laughs> in the mid-70s, there were a lot of characters around in rugby league as players and as coaches, but as players as well. Do you think there's as many characters around today? I mean, I know you, you, you want to tell the stories of players that might have come from a crappy background and decided and they worked on their, their life and got a better outcome, you know, the Johns boys, there's a whole lot of them, to, you know, examples of that today. But what about the characters of rugby league players today compared to before? Or is that they, not a fair comparison? I think they do. I think they do. They're probably just not allowed to beat that. You know, I think the media scrutiny is so much that they, it, it, you know, they're, they're too scared to be themselves a lot of the time. But I think you're seeing more, more and more. I think social media has allowed them to take control of themselves. Like players have got their own podcasts. They've got, you know, they they can – you look at someone like Latrell. Latrell always sort of, you know, rightly or wrongly, if he wants to – to spin a message and he'll do it through his, you know, through his Instagram, through his Instagram to 200,000 followers. So I think athletes here are finding the power in their social media platforms like they have in the US in particular the last few years. Um, like I think there's been a lag here with Australian sports stars, but they're doing it more and more. Like they can call out a journalist if they get it wrong. They can call out a club, you know, if they've done the wrong thing by them. So, um, yeah, it's a. I think I think the characters are there, but they're just. I think in a lot of ways they were too scared to show themselves for a long time. But I think social media is giving them that platform to, you know, unfiltered, give them exactly who they are. You know, do, do you think it's who they are though, Webby, or do you think it's a more the cause that they're chasing? So Latrell's a good example, but Luai is a good example. Mm. You know, like Luai is a character. Yeah. And, uh, I like Jerome. Yeah, but a lot of people put shit pe on him. People misunderstand him. I, I, I sat down with him for a big interview before Origin 1 this year, and he's such a lovely kid. Like, I, I find with all those Penrith guys, it, to me that shows you how the media can manipulate a message. Like, they just have painted Penrith as this, 
um, you know, these young, arrogant, cocky side. When yeah, if you actually go and talk to them, like like Nathan Cleary is probably one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet. You know, he's a harmless kid, like, but he's been sort of um, painted to be this really uh, overconfident or, or 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 just that all he's you know he's just painted in a negative light. And I can't I can't work it out. I really can't. Yeah, but like it's nearly like because Penrith winners, it's nearly like Penrith's been promoted as a, a boomboxing, um, uh, uh, you know, rap rappers. Uh, yeah, they uh, are Islanders hanging out together and arrogant against the rest of the rest yeah. of the competition. Yeah, that's that's how it looks to me. That's how it looks, but I don't think they are. If you meet them, they're not that at all. You know, they they're always. I'll never forget when when Luai and Toto were first picked for New South Wales. Like they were going up and introducing themselves to journos. You know, they, they've actually there's a real humility there. Um, you know, in that in that team. Um, uh, yeah, I just think sometimes there's a there's a the media can get it wrong, and if you not, not if you don't play ball with the media like um, like certain journalists or certain executives want you to, then they'll they'll they can they can turn a message very quickly against you. If I look back at Penrith in the nineties, and I look at MG, I look at Royce, to a lesser extent Freddie, um, um, and uh, Brandy, uh, they were sort of they weren't they weren't um trendy they weren't they're just hard hard nosed highly skilled footballers yeah. and i think gus was a coach yeah. for a bit there yep um if i look at penrith today ivan's the nicest bloke in the world <laughs> literally one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet and i think nathan from my, 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 i've only met him once or twice mate nathan's the same it looks like a totally different vibe coming out of penrith today compared to what it was in the 90s yeah is that just a reflection of Penrith become richer and more wealthier and a better known joint? You know, like, oh, I don't mean oh, as a club, yeah. but as an area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but I also think it's just a reflection of um, of rugby league. You know, I we hate think- to we like to hate the winners. We do hate to hate the winners. Come on, you're a chook. Yeah, I know. Go, go, how, much hate, how, much, how much hate's been levelled at your well, club? But the problem years? is they still hate us and we didn't win. And uh, <laughs> and people still hate South and they didn't win. But we both had shockers in 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 twenty twenty three. But now well, it doesn't mean that they move the hatred from one club to another club. But before that, it was we before just they were, clubs. But before that, it was Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. When Melbourne had their, oh, we, you know, but everyone still hates Melbourne. They do. So, so in other words, the hatred doesn't doesn't die. We just oh, had another I, club. I hate all teams, <laughs> <laughs> particularly my own, the Dragons. <laughs> so, how did you become a Dragons? Uh, my father was. My right, father okay. was. Yeah, so you, so I, I was born into it. So, because yeah. you are a Newcastle boy, like. Uh, I grew up on the north coast, but I went to yeah. I, I spent a lot of time in Newy. Went to uni in Newcastle. So no one hates Newcastle. Everyone loves Newcastle. They do. Um, dragons, you know, it's sort of a, empathy. Do you have any empathy so we for feel us sorry at all? For, for sure, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> we do feel sorry for the dragons. Um, I, I, but I, I just because I'm trying to work out. I want to talk to you about characters because the bloke you wrote this book about is one of the great characters, and the bloke where I first knew of you was probably. One of the greatest characters that you wrote a book about in 2009, 2010. I remember reading the book. It was a great read. It was Jack Gibson. Yeah. One of the great characters of rugby league. Hmm. Um, he wasn't cool. He sort of was cool, but he wasn't cool. He was man a few words, um, said very little, had an unbelievably interesting backstory, hmm. um, which you managed to dig into, and uh, was a great, you know, was a big part of Eastern Suburbs' um, good years in the 70s. Then went off to Parramatta after that. Um, Jack, for, in my money, was 
was the original Supercoach, which is the name of your book about Jack Gibson. Um, maybe you can tell me why you want to write about – why did you want to write about that particular character? So with Jack, that Jack, that book on Jack was my first book. Was it an autobiography? Uh, was it an, an uh, authorised uh, biography? It was, it was. So I wrote a story about Jack for the Herald um, around 2008 when he – it was very obvious he was going to be coach of the century. They were going to name the team of the century. And his – I think it said so much about Jack's um, – just the the standing that Jack had that no one no journalist or even people were too scared to like to delve into like his health at that time what, why Cause, why, cause why he, are they scared of Jack because that because it was Jack because <laughs> he, he's an imposing he's an imposing character physically physically he's a big guy he wore the jackets he had like he was he was you know Rugby league royalty, but on the front. But also, but also, as you said, he had he had a backstory. He was um, he didn't suffer fools. He was very intimidating, um, and but also, I just think because of his stature, that people weren't going to write about the fact that he was in a nursing home suffering from dementia. So I wrote a a letter to uh, Judy Gibson and said, look, I really want to honour Jack with a piece around the the team of the century. And I went down and I met Judy and 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 um, and John and and the whole family and interviewed them and uh, interviewed Mass and a few others for this piece. And then I wrote it. I wrote it, and then soon after, Jack died, and I just had amassed so much stuff, Mark, um, while doing that piece. And I thought, this guy deserves a a proper order, a proper biography, where I speak to as many people as possible. I, I thought the book was very kind to him, to be honest. With you. But it was quite, from what I knew, I, mean, I knew Jack very well. Um, I, I also thought it was fairly accurate too, uh, in terms of his backstory. Mm. Um, he had a. a a very interesting backstory. Like Jack, Jack, you said suffer fool, didn't suffer fools. Jack was not just a football coach. I mean, Jack worked on the doors. He was a tough bastard. Yeah. And like, didn't act tough, was tough. Hmm. And had, did things that were tough. Like, you know, and you can get verification of people outside of rugby league that'll tell you what he allegedly did. Yeah. Um, with his hands. And so, you know, nobody messed with him. No. It was, no. It was a time when, you could get away with that sort of shit too. You wouldn't get away with it today. Oh, he worked at what was it? He worked on the on Thomas Two Upring in the in the fifties. SP bookmaker. Yeah, he rolled. He, 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 <laughs> he rolled, and, and, but it was very much a reflection of stuff that happened in those days. That's how life was. Yeah, yeah. It was a different sort of vibe to what it is today. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't ever get a, a top coaching job if that was your backstory today, because there'd be too many people coming after you, and be everyone would be too scared to put you up there. Yeah. Yeah. Because you go, wow, we're just, you know, like, oh, I'm on the board of Roosters. We'd be getting nervous about that. We'd be saying, well, hang on a minute. What's going to be the blowback from the media? What's going to be the blowback from our members? What's going to be the blowback generally? What are we, how are we going to look as a club? What's it going to do to the club's reputation? Whereas, you know, back in the 70s, there no problem with that. And Jack was our coach, as you know. Mm. Um, but what is it about someone like him that makes him such a great character in rugby league? I just, I think his backstory, you know, and also the, I think there's because the media's got such a big role in rugby league. I think the way that uh, an individual carries themselves publicly 
adds to that aura. And Bennett's a great example of it. Like I think him and Jack, who were very, very close, they had that just like they just have a really different way of of expressing themselves. And Jack in particular, there's a story that I loved that I loved about Jack, and this isn't to do with rugby league, but when he was playing for Wave playing cricket for Waverley, fast bowler, he'd like the ball would hit the pads and he just <laughs> this is how Jack would appeal. He'd turn around and look at the umpire and go, any news? <laughs> and the poor old umpire would be too scared not to give give the batsman out. But, he's, he, but had, he just had a different way of phrasing things, and and you know I think that's the thing with with Wayne. Like they're just they're engaging people, and they're great. They're money for a for a, a, a an author or a or a journalist because they just what they say always is framed in a different way to most people. Because I think outside the square, it's probably why they've been you know so successful. Well, they they give you the grab. So you know, Jack's. They do it without even, but they do it without even meaning to. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. it's just it's naturally. That's how they naturally speak. Yeah, and, and, and Wayne was much more is more economical in terms of what he'd say. He wouldn't say mm. much. And by the way, he's very good at getting stuck into journalists, fearless. Um, Jack was very economic in terms of well, not economical. He didn't say much, but when he did say something, it was said in a way that you would never expect to be, hear it, like done no. good or something like that. Like yeah. He, but he was extraordinarily intelligent. Well, the great one, the, I, I know it's a cliche, but I like for that Gibson book, I talked to Sturlow about the kick to the seagulls line. And and Sturlow had no idea what he was talking about at all. He said, you know, well, I want you to kick to the sea, seagulls today. And um, and here's Sturlow in the middle of the cricket ground on uh, playing for Parramatta, and he looked up and there he saw the seagulls at the other end of the field. And he knew exactly what he meant, kick to space, because that's where the seagulls are, at the cricket ground. Like it's just, you know, instead of saying kick to sp- say, space, kick to the seagulls. That's I love that shit. <laughs> so, like, from from a journo's point of view, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, and and in terms of characters, then I mean, you know, he, this guy here is often referred to as super coach, as one of the super coaches. Yeah, um, and he's had a much longer life in footy than Jack ever did. Um, like this guy's coached, I don't know, fifty uh, years. Biggest just, record, just over fifty years. He's been a, a full time coach. Yeah, totally. And uh, but uh, equally a big character. A different style to Jack. Very much so. Well, he doesn't drink and he doesn't bet. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. smoke, but... He's not your typical Aussie bloke. No, like he's Jack not. sort of was. He's not, but he did come... He, he, uh, I think the the, defi- the thing that I found with Wayne and in, in writing this book is... And I always liked... I've always been... I've never been got on with Wayne at all. We've always sort of had a bit of a love-hate relationship. Um I wouldn't say it's been poisonous or anything like that, but it was never. We were never close at all. Wayne does play favourites with the media. He manipulates the media. He gets certain journalists to write stories that you know he'll word up journo's before a press conference. Um, he's not the only coach to do that, but he's he's very very smart in manipulating the message about himself and his football team if he needs that to be the case. Um, and even with this book, so the 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 the. Um, the f- when I decided to do this book, uh, the first book I was going to write, well, the book I was going to write was about Jared Hayne. So I'd been- no, not, not Wayne. Not Wayne. So I'd been commissioned to write about Jared and just his rise and fall. And um, it was the, the he's, was before the courts, his, his sexual assault case. And me and the publisher just decided that that's just going to be too tricky. It was just, 
we just thought let's keep away from this. There's been too many too many uh, trials, so we'll, we'll we'll steer clear of it for the moment. And the publisher said, "Who do you want to write about?" And I said, "I want to write about Wayne. I just find him so complex, and uh, he just got soused into that 21 grand final against Penrith." And here's a bloke in his 70s, still coaching, still at the top of his game. And I wanted to explore that. I knew his great backstory, um, or sorry, his interesting backstory in that he's a self-made man because the father left left the home when he was 12 and um, he just was determined to make something of his life. So I, I always knew there was a great story there to be told. So he was the first, when I was signed the contract, I'll never forget, I signed the contract on the Friday uh, and I called him straight away. because I wanted him, uh, It wasn't authorised. It wasn't authorised, but I wanted him to hear it from me. I said, look, I'm going to be writing a book about you. And he, um, he went really quiet and he said, look, if you're going to do it, I want you to do it right and I'll give you whatever you want. You can ask me whatever you want. I might stand in your way of talking to family, friends, whoever, which is, to his credit, was great. But I also felt from the beginning that he was trying to manipulate me. Yeah. You know, because he wanted the, the story to be, you know, as he wanted it to be. But um, what's your response to that, though? So I just went and I went and did what a proper journalist should do and went and got all the different, uh, you know, sides of the story. Probably one of the great ones is one involving you when he went to the, <laughs> with the Roosters in 06. Oh, my God. <laughs> so what did Nick tell you? Nick told me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Nick's quoted, as you know. The, oh, I was uh, there. It was me and Nick who did it. I know, yeah. I know, I know. And uh, didn't, what, didn't, uh, now didn't Nick offer uh, Wayne your... Unit? No, well, I'm not sure who it was mine or his, yeah. but we both were living down here at the uh, Circular Quay. Yep. And uh, I had a unit in the toaster, and Nick had a number of units in the toaster. <laughs> and uh, I also had a unit up the road in the Astor. I had three apartments in the Astor at the time, which is like literally 100 metres up the road. Mm. And, uh, and, and this was not authorised by Nick, but Nick did actually offer – I wasn't sure whether it was I was going to move out of my place and uh, <laughs> Wayne was going to move into my joint or Nick was going to move out of one of one of his apartments um, and Wayne was going to move in there. And it was a good deal, like, by the way, because, you know, uh, we're paying, we were offering good money and it was all after around the Ricky Stewart period mm. and, and, you know, we it was just time to make some changes. Things had to things we, had to change. We had to change, and uh, and you know, Nick and with the board of the Roosters, I was on the board at the time, and uh, we've never been shy to make a change when it's time. You know, things sometimes you have to make changes. Um, you know, players, you know, give you a bit of pressure. Parents give you pressure. Player managers give you a bit of pressure. Results give you pressure. Sponsors <laughs> give you pressure. So you have to respond. You can't just sit there on your hands and do nothing. And Wayne was a, a pretty obvious outcome. For us, for us, but it didn't work out too well for us. Um, and uh, but at the same time, it didn't work out too well for Wayne of the Broncos. No, that's right. Well, see, so I explored that. This is a great example. Like, so I explored this in the book. Wayne's version was that if it ever got out, as you know, if it ever got made public, which then, is what he said to us, which is what he said, then 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 the deal's off. Yeah. But what he doesn't, when he tells that story, what he doesn't say is how the deal, like, it got out, and then he didn't. He he, he called. Uh, Brian Canavan, who was a CEO, yeah. and at said the Roosters. And, at the Roosters, and he said to he said, "Is the chairman still solid?" Those were those were his words to Canavan, who relayed that to Nick. So, in other words, the deal's still on. Yeah, we never. I can tell you now, neither one of us said a word to anybody. No, I, I can tell you that. So, uh, which makes definitely. me think why that got out. So, um, but it wasn't another two weeks until he called Nick and said, I'm not coming. Well, he didn't actually call Nick. He got someone to call. He called Canavan. Mm. Um, and I think it was Bruce Hatcher, his, his accountant, who said, look, if you're going to tell Nick to his face, 
Well, at least at least have the phone call. And he was in the middle of, and during that period, because he was in the, just to give you back, mm. I mean, I, I'm, I know it's in the book, but the backstory was he didn't want to upset the club he was with because we're going through the semi final period. Mm. And he was going, he was, and he and his side was in the semis. They were in the and semis. His, and he didn't want his players going, well, hang on, what's going on? So we weren't going to announce it, that's for sure. And he, yeah. he didn't want to announce it because it's not a good look. But he always had the ability under his contract to terminate. And the Broncos, he had yeah. the ability to, ability to terminate. With and he'd, he'd been going, he'd been on shaky ground there for a couple of, not shaky ground, but he'd been butting heads with management, like Wayne does with every club he goes to. He just he needs to be the central figure in the club, and CEOs and chairs don't usually like that. Well, we did, and we were pretty unhappy about it. And of course, as a result of that, we ended up um, recruiting Opie, and uh, we recruited uh, Freddie. Freddie, mm. and, uh, we had. Uh, Anderson and Fittler, um, Fittler being the um, – Freddie was his uh, apprentice mm. and uh, Opie's first game, uh, we had one marker. The old one marker oh, – I never really get it. Philosophy. And uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't but, good. But so we <laughs> – so I interviewed Bruno Cullen, who was the CEO of the Broncos at the time, and he kept hearing about the Rooster stuff before it came out. And, and Bruno was very – Bruno was great for this book. He was very honest. So I interviewed probably about 300 people for the book, as many people on the record as I could, but a lot, you know – Talked um, anonymously, but that's 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 what sources are. Um, but most people went on the record to their credit, and Bruno was one of them. And I said, um, he said, I don't want you to tell me what Wayne's told you because I'll just tell you what I know. I'll tell you the truth as I know. And he said that he was calling Wayne for days, going, I keep hearing you've done a deal with the Roosters. No, I keep hearing you've done a deal with the Roosters. No, and then it came out. He said, well, I guess you haven't done a deal with Roosters. Yeah, so we didn't announce it, though. So it came no. out anyway. And uh, and I think, I can't remember, I think Nick might have been overseas at the time when it happened. It wasn't a good outcome. But do you think Nick that- confirmed it. Buzz broke it. Buzz and James Hooper broke it for the Telegraph. And Buzz called Nick in Greece. To- By the way, Buzz and Nick weren't close then. No, they weren't. They weren't. No, they were <laughs> so, so Buzz called Nick to confirm it, and Nick did the old- I- What's that? The, you're breaking up. <laughs> Hung up. And, and and Buzz was in the in the uh, the Telegraph newsroom. Looked at Hooper and said, "It's happened." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's fu- it's but it's funny now. Wayne, if it was Wayne, that is a great example of manipulation. Mm. Like because and there would have been some reason for it. He would have had some reason why he's gone. Hang on, I made I've stuffed this up. I made a mistake. I'm not going to look like it was my mistake. I'm going to blame somebody else. But to do it in such a way that it is it, it's uncertain as to where the error was and or who has put it out into the media because he gave himself an out. That's He's very clever. He's very, he is very clever. But the suspicion is that Lachlan Murdoch put, took him to task and said, look, if you if you go, then your legacy at this club is going to be trashed. Which what happened. But like, which, yeah, and that's happened exactly anyway. what happened. Exactly. Lachlan, I, I approached Lachlan. Lachlan was one of the few people who didn't get back to me for the yeah. book. Well, and that sort of makes sense too, though. Um from Lachlan's point of view, because you know Wayne had a massive legacy at having been in the Broncos, mm. and, and you know you open the door um, and go out, especially if you come to the Roosters, um, that's not a good look. He said he regrets it though, Bennett. He said he regretted not coming. Yeah, yeah. He's, he quite quoted him saying that he would have liked to have. He loves big characters. He loves big guys. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. he loved Porky Morgan. He loved Tinkler. He yeah. loved um, Singo. He loves you know all these really big guys, which is which I find also interesting in itself because he's a kid from from nothing. You know, can you We're tell me a little bit about him? Give, give me a little bit of background on like uh, tell he, me about he, his backstory. His backstory. So he's bo- he's um, 
born near Warwick, uh, New Year's Day 1950. And his father, Jim Bennett, was just a... He was a rogue. <laughs> he he loved to drink, loved to gamble, um, and there was hardly any money for the for the family. Wayne was uh, one of four children, and they just didn't have two twenty cent pieces to rub together. They were they were broke, um, and Bennett would often have to go to the pub to try and get get the old man. And it wasn't so much that he was a bad drunk; he was just never there for for the. For the for the family, um, and and Wayne's mum Patsy was always the the grown up adult in the relationship trying to make things work. And then when he was twelve, he just disappeared. When Wayne was twelve, the father the father the father disappeared, and he popped up a few times. When Wayne started to make a name for himself as a player in the Brisbane competition, um, there's a there's a great anecdote about a very sad anecdote actually where where Jim Bennett comes into the rooms after a game and says where's my boy where's my boy and Wayne hadn't seen him for hadn't seen him for years and he just Wayne was just sitting down and looked up to him and said where the effing hell have you been you know like how old would Wayne be then? Wayne would have been like 19, 20. like so, he just hadn't had any contact with with the father at all um, and I think and Wayne was just determined not. To, he put it this way, he said he, he wasn't so much determined not to be his father, but he just knew he had to go to other men to try and to, to, to style himself and basically build this persona of who he, who he is. Um, and the biggest influence on his life was his, was his, uh, his uncle, uh, Eddie Brosnan, who was a hard copper, former Kangaroos player um, and just a really hard man. And Wayne wanted to be like his uncle Eddie in the police force. So what was it like as a, a footballer? He was talented. He played he played for Queensland um, and he played tour matches in New Zealand for for Australia. Um, Bob Fulton told me how Wayne he did barely said a word the whole the whole trip. He just was so shy and unassuming. He it really comes out, Mark, in the book, just how introverted he is, just how uncomfortable he is speaking in front of um, the public. Everyone seems to think, and I, I really, and I, I told him, I reckon there's. I said I call bullshit. I said I've seen you speak in front of a room of people. He said it's, it still doesn't come easy for him. But he said the first time he spoke in front of a group of people, he's he went to water. Um, so he, he's just he's always had to build himself into the, the man that he is. And I, I, regardless of whether you like Bennett or not, I found that really interesting. Yeah, well, that's you know, he, of- he became the author of his own life. He just said, I'm not just gonna, you know, I could go and li- work in the meatworks in Warwick for the rest of my life and become an alcoholic like my old man, but I'm not going to be that. It, 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 sort of, it is quite interesting in that, uh, particularly when you – I think a lot of people think that Wayne Bennett in front of the media, it's more theatre and he's trying to build a character of himself. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I think it's more theater now. I really do. But I think early on there, and I explore this in the book, is like he just... He 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 just naturally just said yes no answers because he didn't he wasn't comfortable with a microphone under his nose just shy he was just shy he's really shy he's still shy now yeah I found him he, he's a he's a really strange cat because <laughs> yeah, that's what made him so interesting to write when I when I went up to his farm in Warwick to uh, and sat down with him and he was just so I could see how nervous he not so much nervous. But there was a re- he's just so wary and standoffish and, you know, take your shoes off and make sure that door's closed. We've got flies here. And and I was going, oh, Jesus, it's going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun. As in like being a perfectionist? A oh, he's just, being re- he's just been really standoffish with me. And he's just, I don't know whether he was trying to put it on me or whether he was trying to be like, you know, try to try to uh, like maintain the power balance in his favour or what it was. But then we sat down and I turned on the tape four hours nonstop. It was like he just and gave me gold after gold after gold. Was that because your approach? I mean, like, because normally, I mean, four hours of Wayne talking would be, I can't imagine it. Um, so is it, was that because of the way you approached it or the, the I, questions you asked? I went pretty was- hard. I went pretty hard. I didn't, I thought, well, look, I'm not going to get this opportunity to sit down with him at his farm. Um, for, for, you know, I'm not, that, that's not going to happen too often. So I might as well, you know, hit him with all the big questions. And I did, and he answered them so openly and, and thoroughly. And he, you know, he, I, I, the thing I really appreciated from Bennett in the whole process, like he didn't have to talk to me at all. He didn't get a zack out of it. So, um, he could have just put all up all the walls, but he, he was very, he was very raw. Like he, there was times there, Mark, where he, like he'd be in tears on the phone to me. A few times, yeah. Both of us in tears. Well, yeah, just talk, talking about his son Justin, who's um, who's who's mentally uh, disabled mm. um, after having a bad reaction to a, a injection when he was a baby. Um, yeah, there'd be times there where he'd be in tears about 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 that, about his relationship breakdown, about his with his wife, with wife, with with Trish. If I talk about Trish, he'd get very emotional. Um, so it's it's a pretty raw. It was a raw process for sure. Yeah, you know, he doesn't uh, come across to me as someone who would show vulnerability. It, he did. He showed me vulnerability. And and you talk about that in the book. Very much uh, so. Uh, uh, did you did you have any difficulty getting many people to talk about him outside of himself, like uh, people who know him or people who have had experiences with him? <laughs> Ricky didn't. <laughs> Ricky. Uh, Ricky, said, Ricky Stewart did. <laughs> Ricky said a great quote. He said, "I don't believe." This is years ago. He said, "I don't believe in Wayne Bennett guruism." Really? Yeah, yeah. That's when, because Wayne can throw, as you know, he can throw hand grenades. He likes to upset people, and I think when when Ricky was Australian coach, he, he had a fair bit to say. We remember Ricky replaced him in yep. 04, at the end of 05, Australia lost that uh, that Tri Nations or Four Nations Tri Nations game in against New Zealand and England, and and that's when Bennett did the run at the airport at Brisbane Airport, and uh, and Ricky took over, and I think Wayne had a couple little 
dog shots at him in the press. Well, Ricky doesn't so, stand back either. No, Ricky's done never. No, never, never. He's just God doing his him. thing. He won't hold back. No, he does. No, and uh, and he can carry a grudge. He can. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he won't. Well, he doesn't forget. No, and he doesn't forget. One of the reasons I love Ricky, I mean, it could be the next book, but one of the reasons I love Ricky because uh, I, I just know what I'm going to get. And uh, and he's he's to me he's one of the big characters of rugby league today, um, and always always has been. I always say to Ricky, I said, you know what I love about you? You stab me in the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know yeah. where you stand with him. Yeah, no, totally. You know, I, that's I, why I, I like him so much. I used to train with him and Ronnie Palmer. We used to go to the gym together, and uh, and uh, Ronnie Palmer, the Bondi charmer, and um, and uh, we used to train at Whitworth Park, and uh, it didn't matter what day or what morning of the week it was we were going to the gym. Sticky would have a crack at He said, mate, what's happened to your biceps? Like literally the day after. He said, haven't you been doing any training? You didn't have enough protein? You, did you eat? No, last night you'd been on the drink. He would be sledging me from the moment I got in the gym. And like I'm not competing with him. Like we're mates. We're just <laughs> just hanging out together. And uh, and Ronnie being a wonderful person, as he like always had a laugh and just sort of would – but, but he, he'd get you <laughs> offside straight away and make you actually make me train harder. But that's, that's his. How, that, that's his go. That's his go. Yeah, and uh, he was a, one of the greatest, genuinely greatest sledges of all time, and still is to this <laughs> very day. I can see a book coming. But like, I just want to go back to Bennett now. So, um, but it was unauthorized, and but Ben clearly was very open to you. Mm. People weren't. Um, were, people were forthcoming in terms of opinions about the guy. I mean, and, and what he's like. If today. You had to just summarise Wayne Bennett in a, you know two or three sentences. Now you know him better. What would you say about him Ooh. compared to before? Because I mean, you had a totally different view of him, or didn't your view not change? I I, I, I think he's. So I interviewed his uh, daughter Beth, yep. who he's semi estranged from since the the marriage split. Yep. Uh, I interviewed Trish, and I interviewed Dale, his new partner. The thing that I got out of Wayne is that he's a very complex, complex guy. Um, and Best says a comment in that book, which I think resonates all the way through it. He never dealt with his childhood trauma. He never dealt with what happened to him as a kid. And the only way that he can, that he's been able to deal with the fact that the father was so harsh to the family and particularly him, and he never had a male, um, you know, a dominant male figure in his life was to be a, to, to be a coach and to coach young men, generations of young men. That's how he's that's how he's basically healed himself. I know this sounds very Oprah, but that, that's it. Like he he just he he gave young he gives young footballers what he never had. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's guidance. That's guidance and leadership and support. Um, and but the flip side of that, Mark, is what, and this is why he falls out with so many of his players, is because that works to a point, but when they are no longer needed, they get too old, they're out of form, whatever, he just cuts them loose. So he gets them so close. That's the way that he coaches. That's the way that he goes about his business. But when you're, you know, just the ruthlessness of football and professional sport, he's got to, got to cut them loose. He's got, he's got separation issues, as Steve Renouf says to me. But do you, but do you think that's, um, he's just doing it in the way that's, the most effective, in other that's words, what, but that's that's just that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm not going to sort of uh, wrap you up in pillows and shit like that, and uh, you know, bullshit to you. Mm. I'm just going to tell you straight, like time's over. It's that's right, it's time. But yeah. no, we've done, had our time. Time's over. Yeah, because I want to talk to you. A lot about- of them can't reconcile that because he's like he's been such a, so close to them and such a father figure to them, you know. And then they say he goes, "Well, no, I'm not extending you." 
and they'll go, well, hang on, I thought you were going to look after me forever. <laughs> do, or do you think that's uh, a dangerous thing for him to do then? Because as you said right at the very beginning, a lot of one of the things that fascinates you about rugby league players is a lot of them come from average, ordinary or less than ordinary circumstances. Mm. It could be parents a problem or poverty or, you know, immigrants into the country, et cetera, racing, running away from something. Then in comes Wayne. Um, they become a bit, bit beholden to him. Mm. And uh, and at the same time, he's looking after him. He's, he's getting the best out of him, which is his game, get the best out of a player. But then he sort of uh, cuts them loose. Mm. Maybe not in a way that it's meant to be nasty, but just time's over. Yeah. Is that a dangerous thing for a coach to be? I think, but it's, he's been so bloody successful, you know. I don't think he knows any other way. Apart, apart, but apart from his success, what about the individual that he's talking to? I mean, like, so do, the, do you think that's a dangerous thing for players? I would have thought players would understand that that's the nature of the beast. So do you think players know about Wayne's personality? They know who we're talking about? Do I think they, think they do. I, I like he, but he gets them so – he manages to – he manages to earn their trust like no other coach, really. And I, I find that that's what I find fascinating that he's been able to do that through, like, as I said, he's been coaching for 50 years and he's just as relevant to, like, all those South blokes in, you know, when he was there as he was to um, to the teams that he coached in Brisbane when he was, a, when he was you know, a young, a young coach starting out. Like, he's just always been – he's always been able to earn that trust off them. Um, and I, I just – I think that's that's what fascinated me that that a seventy year old man could somehow get a twenty year old footballer to trust him implicitly. No, I don't think that's easy to but do. Have you sort of dug into? Was he, did he have a technique, or have you dug into how that works? He, it, there's there's a lot in there. I talked to Alfie about it. Like he, he socialises with players a lot. In what in what, like by text or no by going he goes out with them. He goes, have like, a beer with them. Or he, he won't have a beer. Oh, he, like, doesn't he, drink, he doesn't drink, but he'll go out and he'll he he, he he it's almost a bit of a cliche. Like he always gravitates to the back of the bus, the team bus, um, whether it's with cards. Like I've talked to Alfie about it. and I talked to him about it at length. Like he'll um, he'll. He'll just sidle up to someone and just uh, just ask a couple of questions here or there, and and immediately get their their trust because Wayne, the great Wayne Bennett's wanted to, wants to know about my family, wants to know about my mum and dad, what they do. Johnny Elias tells a book uh, a story in the book where, um, like Johnny had come from Sydney to to play uh, play with South Magpies in the Brisbane competition, and and Johnny couldn't crack it with him at all. And then one day after training they all went out to, for pizza and they all sat down at this at this uh, restaurant and the only seat available was next to Bennett. And as soon as Johnny said that he ne- like he he didn't know his father, Bennett took him under his wing because he didn't know his father himself. Can I tell you something about funny you mentioned Johnny Lies. Mm. His brother Joel Lies mm. was my best friend at school. Best friend at school. I know Joe. Yeah. yeah. Good guy. Best friend at school. And when Joe was fifteen the dad died. Passed away, and Johnny was much younger. Yeah, and I actually I was in maybe eighteen, seventeen, a little few years later, and I coached Johnny Lice in J grade, and this kid could do anything. Like he was athletic. His athletic ability was unbelievable. He could climb trees. He could play in any position on the football field. He was such a natural footballer. Mm. But Johnny suffered um, from not having a father figure. Yeah, and his brother Joe had to leave school and start work. 
to gotcha. pr- provide for the family. They live around the corner from me, right. and uh, I- I'll never forget that. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Joey's brother, and I'll never forget the relationship, how Joe looked after his younger brother, Johnny, and how much Johnny missed having a father figure in his life. So that's very interesting you should say this to me. Like, yeah, that right. they both – Yeah, that's interesting of, that I should, you should say that to yep. me. Like, I, it, it makes sense. Yeah. And that's what – that's <laughs> – it's funny, like all the way through this book, all the players he he gravitates to the most are the ones that didn't have a father or had issues with their father. So, who's so the I, I, I reckon I reckon Wayne, and I've as I said, I talked to his his daughter. Wayne is almost like giving himself therapy by coaching these young blokes, you know, coaching young men to be, to 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 you know to have a special sort of life and a special career because that's what he you know he didn't have that. But then, but then. He makes a fatal mistake at the end of the period of cutting them loose. Yeah, in, yeah. in a way and he, that, and he does it in a ruthless manner. Like he'll just cut it off like that. And, and it's sort of like a the ultimate abandonment. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's like I, it's like I'm setting you up. Yeah. Well, maybe he's not doing, it, but from their point of view, from the player's point of view, yeah, you set me up. Yeah, you, that's you, how they feel. You that, brought that's... me along, and then you've cut me. That's how they feel. Some players have said that. Yeah, for sure. They, they talk about it in there. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of them. So who was the and, player? And even and even so, not even so much that. Like I know when he got rid of Kevin Walters and Gary Belcher at the end of '05 as assistant coaches at the Broncos. Same thing. Like he, they'd won premierships under him and been with been with him and um, for a lot of a lot of football. And now they are there as assistant coaches, and it's like you're gone. And Belcher was married to his daughter. Is that right? No. No. No, ben, ben Eichen. Ben Eichen. Ben Eichen is married to, to Beth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And does he talk to Ben anymore? I think it's 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 a it's a strange situation. Like I was very like his, his marriage breakdown was. I told him, and I told all of the Bennets. I said, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna approach this in a gossipy way. I don't think there's stuff there that I should go into at all. I don't want to go through the nitty gritty, sort of details of 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 how the relationship ended and how hurt everybody is. I, I didn't, I didn't think that served a purpose for this book. To me, the thing that stood out the most from that was how people reacted to it." Yeah. Because like Wayne has been such a yeah you know, has moralised on people and footballers and everyone else in the game for so long, and then he, you know, he he has an affair and and leaves his wife and it was like everybody was you know uh, climbed into him. Yeah, that's amazing because there was a, a a big sort of morality issue thrown around. Mm. I, I mean, and, and by the way, he also. Sort of looked like it was a bit of a moralist himself. I don't drink. You shouldn't. Uh, mm. I don't. He didn't play up. He, you know, there was nothing really going on about Wayne. Wayne was just a straight shooter. Went to work. From all accounts, yeah. went home and uh, did his thing, and then went and like we never had any. We didn't participate in his personal playground at no, all. No, no, because there was nothing there. No, 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 no. He was all and but he and this is what I also said this to him when I was exploring this part of the book. Um, I said, but I can't. He, he didn't want me to touch on it at all. And I said, Wayne, you know, you've been very open about your upbringing on Australian story. You've talked about your two disabled children. Um, I said, I can't. I can't ignore that part of your private life. That's you know that if we, you're going to talk about that part of your private life, then I can't just ignore the fact that you know you're a former Queensland Father of the Year. Who was he? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the big. That was the. That was brought up regularly when he was um, when his relationship with Dale Cage came out. I interviewed her. Dale was quite interesting. She gave, had a lot to say about how 
like the, she she claims the Broncos never accepted her or Wayne at all after that after they got together. Sort of got outed. Yeah. Well, 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 well Wayne, you know, he coached lots of Origin in Australia. He, the, the, the Kangaroos, he coached, obviously went through brilliant periods with the Broncos. Did he at any stage mention what were some of the greatest periods in his rugby league coaching career in terms of success? Yeah, he do, he does. He talks um like he lo- loved all those Broncos years. He loved he loved Alfie and and Kevy. You know, they were the two blo- players he he loved the most. But I I really think that he has got as much out of what he did with the Dolphins this year as any time in his whole coaching career. I think he got as much out of that. Because everyone was knocking him so hard, you might recall. Yeah, I remember. The yeah, really. Season. And and I remember Bennett would call me out of nowhere, and yeah, he'd say, he go, I see they're into me again. They keep saying I'm not gonna, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna fail. They've been saying it their whole, my whole life. I'll prove them wrong again. But he, he, and he genuinely hated not coaching in 2022. Um, but I, I just talking to him throughout this season, the Dolphins' first season in the NRL, he just seemed genuinely, uh, I don't know, Just he just seemed so, um, not relieved would be one word, but I just think he felt so validated about his validated. own coaching because he had all these, like it was, like there's no real superstars in that team. Yeah, bloody good forward and pack. And to do though. what he, yeah, a good forward pack, it is, it is. But to do what he did... Um, I've got to say, he never seemed so happy than when they beat the Roosters in the first round. Oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. And it beat us well, too. Mm. And Kafusi just just laid into us. Yeah. They just literally laid into us. He was very he was very happy. He said he said there was there were players in tears in the dressing rooms after that after that game. And I just think throughout this year, I know, like, I know they ran out of path because the depth was always going to be an issue for the Dolphins, but the fact that um yeah, that he'd taken a team that and not like they didn't have a they had young hookers, young young halves, so many injuries in those positions. Um and to be in the top eight for the first half of the season in their inaugural season is pretty, pretty special. And they bought well for next year too, especially in the forwards. Yeah. So, uh, did, did Wayne? Does Wayne talk about? And I often wonder about this myself. Um, the, the that moment when he brought Alfie Langer back to the um, he talks uh, to about the that. state of origin. Yes, he does. What, what, what was that about? Well, they needed uh, they needed a halfback, and he needed. They lost the second game heavily, and he needed to change it up. Um, but as I reveal in the book. His first call wasn't to Alan Langer. Oh, really? It was to Jason Smith. Wow. Who was playing in the UK. Yeah. Well, and, well, and, J- and Jason Smith's club had had pushed back and said, no, we're not releasing him. Where was Alan Langer, though? He was in the UK too, wasn't yeah, he? he was, yeah, he was yeah. playing at Warrington, and the coach allowed him to go, um, but the board weren't that happy. So that was sort of the end of it. Like it cost Alfie basically his contract in the UK because they because he – because he they they released him and they, and then Warrington went their season went south after after that period so um, but it was still the so when he when Bennett called him and Alfie famously said what took you so long <laughs> <laughs> it was all clandestine and it only happened because the New South Wales Rugby League allowed it to happen really they they were going to push back on it and in the end allowed it to happen but I know I covered that game I, I don't think any of us ever thought in a million years that you know. Langer would do what he did that night, and he scored. And he scored. Yeah, in from about two minutes away, but only someone but, uh, but, Alfie Langer would do exactly. But I think that 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 result, as much as anything, I think he felt very vindicated. Wayne again, um, he felt like 
Wayne felt like he had something. It always looked like to me he had something to prove that I'm the smartest coach in the game, and that this is an example of it. But of course, Gus then followed it up many a few years later with Freddie, <laughs> and between those two, mm. and then they went head to head. Yeah, which was fascinating in itself. Yeah, can you did you do you explore Phil Gould versus? Wayne I do, yeah. I do. Bennett always said, yeah, I never wanted to play Gus Ball." He just thought, What's that mean? He, 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 like the way the Canterbury used to play, yeah, like the way the the, the Warren Ryan and, and Phil Gould Canterbury teams basically, and the and then Gus with um with Penrith, he just that's when Bennett's you know Broncos teams were coming through, um, and he just he wanted to have his own style basically, which you can, which is easy to do to play an attacking brand of football like those Broncos did, which is easy to do when you have the team that they, they had. It was an unbelievable team. Yeah. Like it probably never to be repeated. No. I mean, I don't, think, that, I don't even think Penrith is sort of at that territory. That 93 team, they, they say that Broncos team is the best club team ever. That said, I reckon the 98 side was pretty special as well. Yeah. Um. So he said, and this is again, I explore this too, like, and Brian Smith, former Roosters coach, um. He, he, I talked to Smithy quite a lot throughout the Dragons periods, and then when he was at the Roosters coaching against the Dragons in 2010, that game he lost. That, <laughs> I mean, that was the grand final. That, mm. that we were we were winning at halftime. He mm. did I, whatever Bennett did at halftime, turned the game around. They just so he walked in. He walked into the room. Bennett walked into the room and said, "You're not playing like St George. Play like St George. You win the game." And walked out. Serious. Mm. That's all he said. Uh, that's all it took. That's all it took. Because it, took, uh, it turned that the game around, they won the grand final. That, that, that's all it took. And of course, and, uh, I, and so Wayne likes to say that story, and I and I always thought that's bullshit. There's got to be more. He must have had. He must have said more, and all the players confirmed it. Jamie Soward actually said, "I thought he, he goes, oh, is that it?" <laughs> and then Sowie on the he got. He, they had a great first set in the second half. He got a great kick away, and he said, "We're back. We're playing like St George of Oregon." But meanwhile, in the in the Roosters dressing room, and Bennett likes to perpetuate this myth. He says that that Brian Smith was like, you know, making all these great yeah. sort of tactics, drawing stuff up, on the, up on the whiteboard and all that. And I talked to players, including Braith and Asta, and, and I said, did Smithy confuse the shit out of you in that second half? He said no. I said, I think Wayne's Wayne's made some <laughs> yeah. some poetic license yeah, about himself there. But but Bennett, uh, but Brian, to his to his credit, says he goes, you know. Wayne's biggest it's it's easy to talk like that. It's all it's easy to have this, you know, as Ricky said, guru's guruism about yourself when you've got some star studded, you know, players in your team. Um, so that's what I think his premierships with St. George and what he did with the Dolphins this year, you know, I think their bigger coaching efforts coaching successes than what he ever did at the Broncos. If I look at Wayne though, he sort of created a bit of a, a, a chasm in Sir George when he left. Then he did the same at Newcastle, mm. and to some extent, did the same at South. Mm. And he had players following him mm. as well, so he took people with him. And he also says, "I'm not going to do. I'm not going to take any players from you." And then he does. Yeah. Mm. And then there was one player in particular. I can't remember who he was. He went from Brisbane to Broncos to St George, St George to Newcastle. Um, Darius Boyd. Darius Boyd. And I felt sorry for Darius at the end of his career. Because I felt as though he was an example of one of the ones who got abandoned. Yeah. Did you talk to Darius? I did talk to Darius. Yeah, but I think the thing is, though, I reckon, and even the Dragons, like the Dragons are really upset that he left. They were, they were very upset with the players that he took. And they were also very upset when he let, was leaving Newcastle. I remember he, he, he basically had done done a deal with the Dragons to return to 
to Wollongong and, and then he did a deal with the Broncos at the last minute and left the Dragons high and dry. Which is sort of what he did with us. Which he did with you guys, and, yeah. And you could say that there's a... There's, it's a pattern. There's a pattern. I mean, <laughs> you could say that. Oh, what, Wayne doing what, what what's Wayne. best for Wayne. Correct. Yeah, he does. Um but but I, Peter Dowse, I interviewed um, for the book. He said he said all the good things that he did for our club outweigh the bad things when he left. Yeah, and I think that's like what happens with a lot of the relationships that he has, whether it's players or or former CEOs or chairs or whatever. Like I think all the bad things that they've had, they've experienced with Wayne is outdone by the good that he does for him. Do you think Webby then uh, maybe part of Wayne's character is that, um, and one of the reasons he gets attracted to join clubs with big. Characters, you know, like maybe one of the reasons why he liked the idea of joining the Roosters with Nick there, etc., is because Wayne actually not only wants to win the competition for the club and the players that he's coaching, but he wants to compete. He, he quite likes the intellectual game. He does. Why he takes on Phil Gould. Why, you know, like he loves, for example, he loved beating us. He loved beating Trent Robinson in that game. It wasn't just about Dolphins beating the Roosters, but I'm going to show this young bloke, this coach, how to play 100%. game. Why I'm going to beat Brian Smith he's in got 2010. A, he's, got, he's got a huge chip on his shoulder. He does. Yeah. And I think that comes from his upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And he – I, this will get a few people offside. I think it's a Queensland thing. Oh, my God. He, <laughs> he, 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 explains this, he explains this in the book. Like he just – he said he, – he wrote this in one of his other earlier books and I explored it with him and it's just like – and I think it was the, the whole – the Broncos' mindset, especially against all of those Sydney teams early on, there it's like it, 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 it was a really weird thing that he that he said. He, he said, um, "You know, you don't have to be from Sydney to be special. You don't have to be from Sydney to be somebody in this world." And I reckon that's an old Queensland thing. For someone from from country Queensland growing up, you know, he had that chip on their shoulder, and they, and they love it. And Wayne feeds right into the Queensland narrative as a character. His whole yes. character feeds, feeds right into the Queensland narrative. It probably right now he's feeding right into the Dolphins. He probably said, "Listen, you're all Johnny Come Lately. No one's given you a chance. We're from Queensland. We're the next Brisbane side. We're going to take Broncos. Then we're going to take the Roosters. Then we're going to beat everybody." Yeah, and and he maybe got into their head. He is a. I, I don't blame him for doing the best for Wayne Bennett. Mm. Like in business, CEOs do this shit all the time. They're doing it all the time. Yeah, and but they build the team up. They build great collegiate sort of relationships, they build our great cultures, but they're also doing it for themselves too. Mm. They've got to earn the right amount of money mm. and when the opportunity comes to sort of jump ship and go somewhere better, maybe a better challenge, they do it. I mean, Wayne is the, or he's a coach, but he's the CEO really of the team. He's the ultimate CEO, Wayne, and I don't blame him for these things. I mean, I, I wouldn't employ him for those reasons, mm. but I don't blame him either. I don't, I don't think it's a thing you can blame Wayne Bennett for for being Wayne Bennett and looking doing the best for himself. I just think he like as I explained like I think he he just has always tried to like he was always told you're not you're not going to be anything. Yeah. You know. Um and he I think he's always chasing that. Always chasing that trying to live up to that um like that reputation he's built for himself. Do you think that Wayne Bennett is uh more liked or disliked just from the general the general people who who think about him, like not necessarily players being involved, but just the general view. It's that's a really interesting question. I reckon, I think there's like begrudging respect. Definitely respect. There's definitely respect, whether he's liked or not. I still don't know if people aren't completely get him or understand him. I like to think with this book, it it goes pretty close. He kept always it was like. He can be such a narcissist sometimes. He's like, "Have you worked out who the real Wayne Bennett is yet?" Like he'd say that to me regularly. That's fucking with you though. 
Sorry? That's fucking with you. That's like fucking with your brain. I know, I know. Have you ever worked out who the real Wayne Bennett is? And I said, oh, I reckon I'm getting close. <laughs> and, and do you think Wayne really cares whether people like him or not? Yes, I do. I do. He, wants he to says like- he doesn't give a fuck. He says it in the first chapter of the book. He said, oh, I want you the book to be right. I'll, I'll give you what you want. But um, and if 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 and then people can make up their own mind if they don't like if they like me I don't give a shit I think he does. And why do you why is the 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 book called the Wolf You Feed? So there's an old uh, Cherokee saying about the good and the bad wolf in all of us. The grandfather Cherokee talks to the to the to the young grandson about you know the the, the two wolves the good and the bad and and. The grandson says, well, which one are you? And he goes, the one you feed. Which one, the good wolf or the bad wolf? With Wayne, I think it's there's two. There's the man and there's the coach. And I, that's and the the older that he gets, he's competing between those two wolves. Is the man emerging? No, I think I think it's the coach. The coach I think emerging. I think he's I think he's I don't. That's why I don't think he'll ever retire. Because I don't think he knows anything else. Every everything that Wayne Bennett is is wrapped up in him coaching football teams. I, he'll he'll do it t- until he's in the grave. Well, Webby, I, I I'm I'm glad I, I want you to sign this book for me. But I'm going to read this book. If it's anything like the book you wrote on Jack Gibson, it's going to be a, a to me. It's going to be a, I can't put it down style book. I really appreciate coming in. A real divisive character, a real divisive character, but nonetheless extraordinarily interesting. Thanks so much, Webby. Thanks, Mark. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart. A better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.